Today marks the beginning of our new series that we're in called The Death of Death. Listen, listen, listen. The new series called The Death of Death. Now, I hope you are ready for this. And the reality is that you probably aren't. Because how could any of us really be ready for this? How could any of us be ready to meet the real Jesus? We aren't, yet that's exactly what we are called to do. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus came, how he tackled death to the ground, stuffed it inside of a grave, sealed that coffin, the grave, the coffin shut, so it might never haunt us again. He lays death in its own grave. Lays it in. Now, sure, death is gonna haunt us a bit because we still give it power that it does not have any longer. It's a perceived power that we keep giving it. And one day we are gonna walk through death and we are gonna see how weak and mangled and defeated it has become. And we will walk by and death will cower at us because we bear the mark of Christ upon us. And Christ, he's the only one who can accomplish this impossible task to lay death in its grave. And that's why, guys, that is why Jesus is so hard for us to understand. Sometimes he seems so gentle and frail and human and lamb-like. And then at other times he seems like this fierce hunting lion. So which is he? He is both all at the same time. And that's why he can accomplish this. That's why he can lay death in his grave. Do you know this? Jesus has a way of making absolutely everybody feel uncomfortable about him. Christians feel uncomfortable at times when they're looking at what the Bible's saying about him and they're seeing him acting so human, so frail, so lamb-like. And Christians look at him and they're like, what is going on here? And then skeptics look at him and he seems so much like this powerful, these claims of divinity and he's just unveiling these glimpses of his power and skeptics are like, ah, this makes me very uncomfortable as well. He is human like us, yet he is the perfect human. He is God like his father, yet he strips himself of his glory. 100% human, 100% divine, a walking paradox. He shouldn't be, yet he is. And once we untangle the paradox that he so seems to be, it is then, it's then that we really meet the true Jesus. And we see that he himself is the greatest thing to ever happen to us. We're in John 18. I'm gonna read for you verses one through 11. Here's what it says. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kindred Valley. 
On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove. This is a different grove. This isn't this grove. Judas is not in this grove. So Judas came to the grove. You should have laughed at that. Guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas and the traitor, Judas the traitor was standing with them when Jesus said, I am he. They all, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he. Jesus answered, if you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Up until this point, Jesus has been functioning like a prophet. He's come into the world and he keeps a prophet speaking truth. So he's functioning as a prophet saying, he keeps saying, I am the one, the God man, I am the God man who has come to unite man and God back together again. But now he starts functioning like a priest. So he's a prophet, is speaking about himself, how he is the God-man come to unite God and man together. Now he starts functioning as a priest. You know what a priest does? A priest is like a mediator between God and man in order to unite God and man back together. So as the prophet, he's telling us, I'm about to unite God and man back together. As the priest, he's come to accomplish that very thing. He's come to do the work to unite God and man back together again. And see, he's the God man. And so if you lose yourself in him, you find God in him. So the setting is, this is the night Jesus is arrested before he's taken to the cross. Here's the setting. He's there, he's arrested. But before he gets arrested, he's with his disciples and they go to this olive grove. And inside of this olive grove is the garden of Gethsemane. Now, we don't know this from the gospel of John, but from the other gospels, we know this. And so here's what he did. He goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he starts praying. And he's praying and he's praying and he's praying. And here's what happens to him. As he's praying, he begins to reflect on why he came into the world. Knowing that he's come to unite God and man back together, but knowing what it's going to take in order for God and man to be united back together again. He knows what's about to happen to him. He says, Father, let this cup pass for me. Here's what he's talking about. He's about to endure everything that was coming at us. Right, so, so the cross represents separation from God and that's what we are experiencing now but there is an eternal separation from God and so here's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to experience to take on this eternal separation so that we don't 
have to. So in this garden, what we're seeing is his full humanity on display because he's reflecting on what he's about to do, his worst nightmare. He's about to be separated from his father. And he prays, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. So his frailty is showing right here. The cup is about him dying in our place. The cup is meant for us, but he's about to drink it up for us. And the cross, here's where we mess up about the cross. We look at the cross and we say, oh, look at the physical suffering Jesus is going through. The physical suffering that he goes through is like a splinter in the finger compared to the spiritual suffering that he walks through because it's in this spiritual suffering on the cross where he is completely separated from the Father. He experiences an eternal hell, drinking the cup that was meant for us. And so as he's, he's in this garden, he's praying and he's reflecting, this is why I came here. God come to die and he's reflecting on it and something happens to him. He starts sweating blood. Now, this is something that can actually happen. It's called hematidrosis. And basically what happens is if someone is under enough emotional stress, they begin, sweat starts pooling up on their forehead. Or, sorry, blood starts pooling up on their forehead. Blood starts coming out of their fingernails. Their eyes get red with blood and blood starts coming out of their nose. I mean, like, are you picturing this? This is pretty intense looking. I don't know if this is in your mind right now, but I'm picturing it and it looks pretty crazy. And what we have here is Jesus's humanity on full display. He became like us, yet perfect, so that he might endure what was for us, what was coming at us. And, and listen to this, the Bible talks about Jesus being tempted in absolutely every, every, every single way, yet remaining perfect. So right here in this garden, he's experiencing probably one of his greatest temptations because his prayer is, Father, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Now, this is the plan before the foundation of the world. God said, we are going to die on behalf of our people in order to display this great love that we have for them. And he's being tempted with walking away from it all, but he says, let your will be done. And here's the significance of all of this. So first, this is him being a priest for you, and here's what it means. A priest goes in the presence of God on a the behalf of man in order to be a mediator. So in the Old Testament, here what would happen. There was a great high priest and the great high priest once a year would come into what's called the Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God is supposed to be fully known. I mean, you're gonna know it at the most in this Holy of Holies. And so the high priest once a year comes into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And before that though, all of these sacrifices are made in order to cleanse of the sin that's covering humanity. And so this high priest is making these sacrifices and he's putting on all these special clothes kind of to signify, okay, he's co we're covering his sin. So he comes into the presence of God in order for God and man to be united. Intimacy with God. Now watch this. Jesus is called the new great high priest. Only when he comes into 
the presence of God on the cross. He's perfect. But do you know what he puts on? He puts on some clothing too. He puts on all of our sin. He's covered in it. And then he comes into the presence of the Father and he's absolutely crushed. So that now we can come into the presence of God with all of the stuff, you know, the things that we keep doing that we know we shouldn't be doing. We come into the presence of God completely clean, completely covered, all of our sin wiped away. So that's one significant part of him being, I mean, he becomes the sacrifice himself. He goes, he becomes human, goes to the Father on behalf of humans, is crushed under the weight of all of our sin so that we can come into the presence of God at peace, knowing that we can have this restored relationship with God. So that's the first thing. Second thing that it means is that he can bring us up out of every temptation that we are experiencing, that we are feeling. He knows, look, he, he became completely 100% human. He knows absolutely everything that you have gone through. You can identify with him. Don't miss this. Every single struggle that you have gone through in your life, he has gone through that struggle and felt that temptation to an infinitely larger degree than you have. And so do you know what that means? It means you can go to him. And he knows exactly what you are going through. Every struggle, he understands. And he can bring you through it. See, our, see here's what temptation is like for us. Temptation's like quicksand. And we get in the quicksand, and you know what happens when you get in quicksand. The more you move, the more you sink. The more you try to get out of it, the more you sink into it. So for us... We become tempted and we're trying on our own to get out and all we do is sink more and more and more. We can't escape it. So Jesus is the only one who's experienced this temptation and come up out of the quicksand and then here's what he's saying. Take me by the hand and I will bring you up out of it. The problem that we have is our temptation, it has such a hold of us, sin has such an allure to us that we see the thing and we're like, no, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that and then we do it because we just want to. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you're experiencing that like I am, but I see sin. I say, don't do this, don't do this, and I do that. And I'm relying on my own strength and my own power to escape it, and it doesn't work. I need to grab hold of, we need to grab hold of him who has passed through it all and can pull us up out of it. Like, okay, let's, let's get personal. What do you feel shame about? I'm not saying Yell out your answer. Could get wild. What do you feel ashamed of that you keep doing? What do you feel guilt about? What's the thing that you keep doing that you want to stop doing, but you can't seem to stop doing it? What Jesus is saying is come to me and I will help pull you out of it. Not only is your shame and your guilt all taken care of because I went into the presence of God on your behalf, taking your sin with me, not only is that all covered, but also I have the strength to pull you up out of it, out of the things that you can't stop doing if you will just come to me. 
And see, the thing is, it's, it might not happen right away, and most likely it's not going to happen right away, but it starts the process of him changing you. And when we think of his humanity, we could think of it like this. So you think of this warrior. Okay, so think of a warrior. The greatest warrior the world has ever known. He stands a foot taller than all other men. He carries a sword, and when he speaks, it's like thunder. Okay, so picture this, picture that. And so this great warrior goes out to fight this great battle against evil that's been haunting humanity, and then he comes home. Now, okay, Jesus doesn't have, so, so he comes home, and, and there's a three-month-old little girl side of the house. His three-month-old little girl. This isn't Jesus here, but just, just follow the illustration. Okay, so, so he's outside of this house. Now, he could come in as this warrior, so happy to see his three-month-old little girl covered in blood, burst in the door and say, hi, I'm so happy to see you. And you know what's gonna happen? That little girl's gonna freak out in terror. So what does he do? Washes off all the blood, comes in very gently, very lamb-like, gets really low, and speaks in as high of a voice as possible in order not to terrify his little girl. That is what Jesus is doing with us. That is God become man so that we don't run in terror because of the magnificence and the glory of God that would so overwhelm us and melt us away. So he strips himself of all of his glory so we don't run from him in terror. That's what would happen. If we saw God in all of his glory, we wouldn't know what to do. We'd likely run or we would melt under the weight of his glory. He is good, but he is not safe. But he is good. He keeps all of his promises, but he's not safe unless he's for you. And then once you go to him and you see him as this gentle savior, so he becomes this gentle savior to you and you trust him, then what you realize is you're actually communing with the warrior God himself who's fiercer than any hunting lion. So watch this. So Judas, who betrays Jesus here, he comes with this whole big Roman battalion, this detachment. Of soldiers. Now, a detachment of soldiers is up to a thousand people, as low as 200, but likely more are coming. So you've got these Roman soldiers coming with Judas, and these are not people you mess with, the Roman soldiers. You do not mess with them. So he comes with this big group of soldiers, Roman, and then he comes with officials and religious leaders. And he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, Who is it that you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then listen to what he says. He says, I am he. And then they fall on the ground. Like, what's going on there? Why did they just tumble over on the ground just by his words alone? Well, let me show you what's happening. So the word he uses in Greek is ego eimi. Not Lego my ego. This has nothing to do with waffles. He says, ego a me, which is translated literally as I am. Now, in the English, they add, the translators add on the word he. So they add on I am he, but literally the translation is I am. Now, now watch. Watch how cool this is. So in the Old Testament, Jesus, see, if, if you are a Hebrew, 
you would know what he's doing here. You would have heard him say, ego a me, and you would have gasped and put your hand over your mouth because he has just claimed to be the God of the Old Testament. Let me show you. So when Moses is about to free the Israelites because of God doing it all, Moses says to God, God, who do I tell the Israelites you are? What is your name? And he says, I am who I am. Ego a me. The Hebrew would have known right away. Jesus has just made himself out to be the warrior God of the Old Testament, the king of heaven and earth. The claim that he has just made is absolutely monumental. Monumental claim. And so he says, Ego e me, and this band of soldiers fall right on their backs. And this is what he's doing. He's claiming to be God. If you, and if you're saying right now, okay, tell me the physics behind this. Like, how is this happening that he just speaks these words and they fall on the ground? What are the physics behind it? Listen to this. The Bible is not concerned about explaining to you the physics of how this works. The Bible is concerned to tell you how God and man can be united again. And right here, in the old, also Old Testament, here's what happens. Whenever God is described and his enemies are described as being right before God, the very next description is his enemies being flat on their backs. And that's what's just happened here. Jesus, in more ways than one, has just shown himself to be the God of the Old Testament. Now, you can say, oh, you know, God, Jesus is a really good teacher. Like, I trust him as a teacher. But listen, you don't trust a teacher that makes themselves out to be God, and they are not. You've got to make a decision about what you're going to make of him. These claims are too monumental to just say he is a good teacher. So the warrior has come tenderly. But then all of a sudden you get a picture of him where he is unveiling his glory, unveiling his power, the God-man standing before his enemies and they are flat on their backs. See, in one sense, yes, Jesus is murdered. But in another sense, in a, in a probably more real sense is he's laying down his life. He could have walked away from this, but he doesn't because he is the God-man who has come to die for us. To put death to death, the warrior priest. And I hope that you know this. All of us, you know, we have goals in life. We have things we want to accomplish. We have career things we want to do. We all want to be better parents. We want to become better people. And here's what we do. We try to find something that's powerful enough that's going to help us improve, powerful enough that's going to help us be better parents, better uh, further our careers, that are just going to help us be better people. And we're all searching for something that's going to help us have the power to do these things. And you know what? Everything is over-promising and under-delivering that we are going to. You just watch commercials and the commercials are way over-promising and under-delivering. Like there's a cleaning product on TV. And the cleaning product is like, listen, if you get this cleaning product, it's going to clean so fast. And because it cleans so fast, you're going to have so much more time with your kids. And because of that, you're going to be this amazing parent because you're buying this cleaning product. And you're just like, wait, what? If I get this, I'm going to be a better parent? Yeah, buy it, buy it, buy it. It's over-promising, under-delivering. But what Jesus always does is under-promise. Over deliver 
because he's veiling his glory. He's masking it because we aren't ready to see it. But then, once we go to him, he unveils it. And every, and our great enemy, sin and death, he knocks flat on their backs. Death is laid out. Sin is laid out. You have the ability in Christ to not just one day walk right past death as if it's nothing. But even now today, the things that you're just, I want to stop doing them and I can't seem to stop doing them. He's the one who transforms us from the inside out, who works and massages, massages our heart so that what is on the outside is matched up with what's on the inside. A lot of the times we try to fix what's on the outside while ignoring the inside and Jesus wants nothing to do with that. He wants to get to the heart and then see transformation happen from the inside out. He's the only one who can do it. And the thing is, listen, some people are like, oh, you know, I've gone to Christ and I'm not really changing, but you are changing. You're just not changing the way you want to and as fast as you want to. But it could be that Christ is doing something very different in you than you thought you wanted him to do. And perhaps he's just showing you your weakness so that you'll rely on him all the more. But the process begins of you being changed from the inside out. And what you really want when you go to him is you want him to say, change me from the outside but he's not worried about that. He's worried about deeper things going on. And listen to this. He is the God man. He's the man become God, but the, the God become man, not the man become God. Don't hear me say that. Um, but not only is he God become man, but he is also called the great shepherd. And that is fantastic news. Here's why. Look at what he says here. So this whole band of soldiers come, these religious leaders, and he says to them, take me and let them go. I mean, Peter has just cut off the ear of this official's, like, of, uh, he's cut off the ear uh, in front of these Roman soldiers, he should not be able to make it out, yet he does. He goes free. How in the world is that possible? Because the God man says, take me and let them go. And he says the same thing about you, but he says it to death and he says it to sin. Jesus is this great shepherd who will not lose any of his sheep and he will do whatever it takes to not lose you. And do you know what it takes? It takes him laying down his life for you. Not just in this abstract way, but for you, he lays down his life for you. So God is like this warrior, but he's like also like this parent or like this brother. So Jesus is like the brother, the father is like this parent. And the parent, the father has rebellious children. That is us. And so this rebellious child who is us wants nothing to do with God. And so what do we do? We run from him. And we run and we run and we run. And then we become captured. We become imprisoned by, in, in this eternal prison. And so he knows this. 
And so he leaves his home. He travels to the distant land to where we are. Anything standing in his way, any temptation, he knocks to the side. Any enemy of ours steps in his way, he knocks to the side and he comes to the prison gate and he rips open the prison gate to come and free us. And he picks us up, throws us over his shoulder and then death says, he is mine, she is mine. And Jesus says, let them go and take me. And then the prison swallows him up, yet he is the great ego in me. And so he breaks open the prison of death and sin and then carries us back to our true home. That's what Jesus has come to do for every single one of you. Yes, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Joe hasn't been here for a month or so. We've missed you, Joe. Okay, so Jesus, he's saying to eternal death on your behalf, take me, let them go. And he says to every temptation for you, he's, he's, he has said no to the temptation in order to bring you up out of it. Now, today, so not only does it mean your future is secured, but even today, transformation can happen in your life right now. And not only that, but he promises. And guys, look, I know this is all, like, this is, we talked about this last week. This is all based off of hope and faith. And if you weren't here last week, you should go back and you should listen to it online. Listen to the sermon online. So, so okay, so listen, he promises he is gonna return and he is not gonna come back as the prophet and he's not gonna come back as the priest. He's gonna come back as the king and he's gonna come back in all of his glory and he's gonna make all things right. And so we go to him now and he changes us. And we go to him now and he makes a promise that our eternity will be changed forever. Let's go to him. All right, I'm praying. Father, despite of everything that we might be feeling right now, we all have a faith decision to make. Whether we say yes to this or no to this, it is a faith decision. So I ask right now, God, that you would just reveal yourself to us, that we would be open-minded about the possibility that you are who you say you are. God, give us a glimmer of this hope so that we might take hold of it, so that we might be assured more and more and more of this hope, so we might have peace with you and we might be united back to you forever. So God, start that process in us now today and continue this process in us now so that we might grow more and more and more into who you've made us to become. God, teach us to just go to you. Teach us in the midst of our temptation to stop trying to do this on our own, but to reach our hand out for you to pull us up out of the quicksand. But also, God, teach us that death is now nothing to fear. 
because we bear the mark of you upon us. And death cowers because we have gone to you, the great ego eimi, who has laid death in its own grave. God, we have so much to rejoice about. Teach us how. In Jesus' name, amen.